0: What do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lift of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. The book of Romans has been called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. All right, let's turn our attention to the message here. And believe it or not, you know, if you're new here, we're a Bible-teaching church. And so what we do is we're in a book of the Bible, and we go verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, week after week. That's how we do it. And usually at Easter time or Christmas, you know, it doesn't always line up right, but once in a while, and it did it this week, where we are landed on Romans 10, which is the perfect text for Resurrection Sunday, it really is. And so, you know, God is a multitasker, what can I say? He he knows how to line everything up, he's good at that. And so uh, we are headed to Romans chapter 10 this morning, uh, but not before we ask him for his help, let's do that. Now, Heavenly Father, we just bow our hearts before you, we're glad you're here by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we need your help, God, it's hard to understand uh, certain things in the Bible. This uh, passage here, we need your spirit to open our eyes and soften our hearts. And sometimes when it talks about the only way to be saved, it can be uh, just a little bit offensive, God. But just help us to hear you out and, and not be defensive and just to hear the word. to respond accordingly in faith in Jesus name and all God's people said amen Amen. well let's dive in you know the joy that makes Easter Easter and the most celebrated day on the Christian calendar of course is the death of death and uh, that death has been a real problem to our human race hasn't it man alive, there's probably nobody in this room that hasn't been touched in some way by it. I started wondering about the statistics about death, and I found some here. We'll put it up on the screen. At the most unlikely website, uh, these drab and dreary statistics came at (laughs) funtrivia.com. So, you know, I don't know what's so fun about this trivia, but uh, the U.S. Census Bureau uh, has some statistics on how uh, often death strikes, and it's 1.8 per per second. Now I started thinking, how does a 0.8 of a person die? And and I I thought maybe like Wesley in Princess Bride, who was, (laughs) he was mostly dead but slightly alive. So that could explain the point eight there. Anyway, I do get the point in case you're wondering. Uh, 105 per minute, 6,000 roughly hourly, 151,000 a day, 4 million and a half uh, monthly, and then 55 mil every year. That's a lot of crying. It's a lot of sadness. That's a lot of memorial services. It's what the Bible calls our enemy, speaks about death. It wasn't really God's intention at all. You know, it's been said that the first three chapters of the Bible tell us how everything got started, and it got started pretty nicely. Uh, God looked it over and said, very good, everything's very good. And then chapter 3 tells us that something went terribly wrong. Wrong, and from that, what we call the fall, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and, and death spread to all men because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, one writer said, Yes, the first two chapters tell us how it got started off on a good foot, and then something went terribly wrong, and the rest of the entire Bible, the rest of the 1,186 chapters are spent to tell us how God went about to fix the problem, the problem of death. Death. I mean, Ben Franklin said, there are only two things you can be certain about in life. It's death and taxes, right? And so we just had a little reminder of the latter. April 15th uh, came and went. I don't know if you noticed, as usual, right on time. And it will be back again, same time next year. It's scheduled stop at your house, regardless of however you file jointly or not. You're going to get taxed one way or the other. So regarding the former certainty, which is a lot more unpleasant about death, well, it is going to continue to make its rounds, too, and not just with some in our midst but wave after wave year after year century after century the bible says in proverbs chapter 30 there are three things that are never satisfied that never say enough four things that are never satisfied one parched desert land two barren a barren womb number 3 fire and number 4 the grave the grave just keeps calling. And it doesn't really matter if you pay your taxes or don't, if you're a decent human being or a thug, uh, if you are physically fit, you know, or you're young and beautiful or you're prime of life or you're a celebrity, you know, you got a heartbeat, then you made the list and death has got your Number. It's a frightening thing. It's a frightening thing. I remember I, I was about seven years old and I was laying on the pillow and I think it was early morning on a Saturday and I heard my heartbeat and it dawned on me, wow, that's a lot of work for a heart to do all the time, every day. And all that needs to happen is for it to stop one time and then I would die. I ran to my mother and father. I was so upset about, really, the fragileness of life and that everybody has to die. And mankind has made lots of different ways to deal with that, a path to uh, reconcile us back to God or fix the problem. And yet God, in the Bible, speaks of one way that God has made. He's opened the door to escape From judgment, because it says in the Bible it's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. Now, if he's already incurred that judgment by becoming our sin, Christ, the sinless one who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf to make us right with God. So, in that appointment that we all have, there's no more fear left if. The judgment part has already been paid. On the cross, he cries out, it is finished. That's an accounting term. It means paid in full. So the fear of death is lifted off of those who believe because we still keep the appointment, but we are reconciled to God and we have nothing to fear because our Penalty has been paid in full by none less than God himself in a human body. And so that's really the message of the gospel. And it's the message that Romans has. Now, And what Romans is going to do is explain uh, the process by which Jesus' death and resurrection um, becomes a benefit to us. We have to do something. And a lot of people have it wrong. And that breaks God's heart. And so that's what the chapter's about. There's 11 verses. It moves pretty fast. But let's read it in its entirety here. The gospel. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm and zeal they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. It's not zeal connected to knowledge, as one translation says. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep commandments and to be good and to be a decent person. Verse 4 For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the commandments were given. As a result, all who believe in him, faith in him, he did the work, he fulfilled the commandments, are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way, the commandments way of making a person right with God requires perfect obedience to all its commands, whereas... But faith's way, the gospel's way, the Christian way, Christ's way of getting right with God says, hey, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say, who will go down into the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? In fact, what does it say? The message is close at hand. It's right there on your lips and in your heart. It's a prayer away. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach, the gospel, the good news. If you simply confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God the Father raised God the Son from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that confirms that you're indeed saved. Verse 11 as the scriptures tell us, anyone who, puts, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. That is our passage, and it divides quite nicely. The good news to all who have an appointment with death and according to the Bible, then to be accountable to God who gave you the life. I mean, we didn't just decide to be here. Nobody birthed themselves into existence. We're here because God created us. And then in the end, he requires an accountability of our lives. And so the good news is for anybody who is awaiting that judgment of God is that the the empty tomb says this. God made a way to be right with him. And our passage really gets you to ask, well, okay, okay. So what's his way to get right with him? Well, number one, it's not through religion or spiritual devotion of any kind if it's not connected to Bible truth. You can be as sincere as you want, but you can be sincerely wrong. And so number two, uh, it's not very difficult. Oh, it's not very difficult. It's as close as a prayer away And then he says, eternal life is really obtained only, number three, through faith. It's with our hearts we believe, we're transformed. His spirit comes in, and that overflows to the way we speak. We go public with it. That's evidence of saving faith. So those are our three points. Let's dive in. A person, number one, can't get saved through religion or any kind of spiritual zeal. There's lots of folks who are spiritual, All over the planet, a lot of people have said that's because we have a God-given conscience and we know that God's out there and we know that we're not connected and we know that we need to reconnect. So man's various thousands of religions are evidence that the soul knows that it has to reconnect with God. And so man's religions are called ladders that we build to get up to heaven where Christianity is described as, oh no, It's a ladder that God puts down and God intervenes and God does all the work. And then he asks for simple trust. Because you see, my friends, it isn't a question ever of good and bad. Do not think good people go to heaven and bad people don't. That's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that we're all bad, that we all missed the boat. But one came into the world to die on our behalf and to live on our behalf. And that whoever believes in him and trusts in him, that's how we're saved. So it's a matter of not good or bad. It's a matter of alive or dead. It's a matter of faith or no faith. It's a matter of you making your way or you accepting his. That's what this verse is all about. And so we're already dived in. He's gonna use Israel now as an example of how not to do it. And and, I mean, it's so odd. It's such a paradox because the gospel is a Jewish thing. Christianity has on the bottom of it stamped made in Israel. (laughs) It's a 100% Jewish product. Everybody, for the first 10 years of Christianity, they're all Jews. The day of Pentecost when the church was born, guess what? They were all saying, oy vey. They're (laughs) all The first 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, they're all Jews. The next 2,000 that get saved a couple chapters later, they're all Jews. All Jews wrote the Bible. All the Bible heroes are, are Jewish. The promises and the Messiah who shows up to the Jewish people is a Jew himself. Yes, he's the God man. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit, but he's born of Jewish uh, lineage through Mary. And so he himself, but when he comes on the scene and speaking of how Israel sort of missed it, when he comes on the scene, he says, now Judaism has fulfilled her role. Here I am because all of Judaism, starting with the first Jew, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were created as a nation and he promised that through them, the Messiah would come in. Into the world, that he would step through the womb of a human being. And he said in the Old Testament to bear our sins, to pay the penalty, to be even, Psalm 22, Old Testament, have his hands and, and, and feet pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our healing, to put us right with God. And he said, well, now that I've come, everything in the Old Testament pointed to me, now Judaism has done her job. Even Judaism said in uh, Jeremiah, through Jeremiah the prophet, a time is coming when a New Testament will come, that this Old Testament will, will finish up and a New Testament will come with the Holy Spirit and changed hearts and forgiveness of sins. So even the Old Testament was saying of itself. And so it's not it can't be that offensive to Jewish people because you can go to chapter and verse and say, your own scripture says the New Testament was coming, right? And so Jesus came and he said, you know, here I am. But they wanted him to come the way he's coming the second time, the first time. What do you mean a crucified Messiah? What's to save us from Rome and all of that? But you can't participate in the second coming without the first coming to wash your sins away and be reconnected to god and so this is what he's saying so in these verses he's saying first of all my heart goes out to them because they got a lot of zeal for god they talk about god they've got our bible they call their scriptures the bible and it is the bible they talk and they do the praying, and there's so much zeal, and that word there, enthusiasm, in the Greek it's zealos. It means heat or boiling or warmth. And so he says, My heart goes out to them as a Jew who had that heat for God, so much heat for God, sincerity, that I would kill Christians. That's Paul. So he gets their religious zeal. But he says religious zeal, sacrifice, devotion, goodness, all of your efforts to be religious is in God's way because nobody can be good enough. God had to do it for us. And that's the stumbling part. I mean, that's humbling to come to the table and say, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross. I cling as a helpless, hopeless uh, sinner. That's hard, and that's what keeps a lot of people from doing, uh, coming to Christ, really, as it were. And so uh, he says, so close, so far, I pray for them, but he says, sincerity, really, uh, in devotion and zeal is good if it's linked to truth, right? Because you can be sincere, like Paul was. He thought he was doing God a service. By making sure Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7, was stoned to death. He gave his approval. He was there, cheering it all on. Sincere. A lot of people say, sincerity, that's all you need. Millions of devoted people. Devoted. Devoted pseudo-Christian cults are denying themselves no birthday parties, no pledge of allegiances, no Christmas parties, uh, no meat or no kinds of this food and no caffeine. I was out with somebody, and uh, we or <laughs> we sat down, and that person who it's their religion is against caffeine, right? They turn that coffee cup over so loud with such zeal, the whole restaurant heard him. And it was like, whoa, you're serious? He goes, yeah, you know, it's pretty serious business. So, well, is it? Is it? No offense. You can have your way of thinking, God says, but God says, That caffeine, or what goes in the body, goes, Jesus' words, goes out of the body. It bypasses your heart. It has no effect on defiling you or bringing you closer to God. God's way is different. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about trusting him and what he's done. I needed an amen, and I got one. (laughs) Thank you, Valerie. (laughs) All right, Easter dinner at our house. so uh, their plan one writer uh paraphrased it this way uh you in eagerness to set up a righteousness of their own they would not submit themselves to god so this is the way not to approach god your own way as sincere as it is it's just not linked to bible truth and so God holds them responsible. Why? As he holds everybody responsible, who doesn't do it his way because it says, look in your text, they refuse or reject. That implies will. So in other words, everybody kind of has enough knowledge to know through creation about God, about right and wrong through our God-given consciences so that when we choose to turn away from what God calls the truth, and then he, he holds us responsible for that. And so verse 4, he says, you're trying to keep the commands and, and be good enough, but Christ came to do that for you. Now, a lot of people, Christians included, know, rightfully so, that Christ came to die the death for us that we deserve. We get that. But do you forget He came to fulfill the commandments to live a morally perfect life for you as well so that in Christ, you are morally perfect because you're in Christ. And he uh, obeyed morally with perfection. He was not found with one sin. So he did what we could never do on the plus side by obeying, and then he died the death that we deserve now listen why did it have to be the god man because how can a sinner pay for other people's sins when he has a debt of his own before god so we needed a man and he had to be perfect and the only way to get a perfect man was to become one himself so he poured himself into a womb a jewish one and that is the God-man. And the God-man now, since he has moral perfection, he's got the funds to bail out another bankrupt sinner because he's got the moral capacity. He doesn't know anybody anything. He's never sinned. Now he can be a sacrifice. He can lay down his life. And then he's going to say, and I'm going to do a swap with you. You believe in me, and I'll swap. I'll take your sins And I'll swap you for my perfection. And I'll cover you completely by uncovering myself. So he was stripped at the cross. And we were covered. He was brutalized and we were blessed. He took the wrath of God like a sponge and said, Then, whoever believes in me, you don't have to die again. You already died in Christ as it were. And so these are uh, verses 1 through 4. He says that Christ already did that so that you can believe in him so easy as it is and be saved. Now Paul continues, 5 through 8a. For Moses, he's going to quote the Old Testament, writes that the law's way, the commandment's way, what the Bible says about the law itself The law's way of making a person right with God requires perfect obedience. And now he's going to contrast that with the way of the gospel, the way of faith. So this is kind of fun here. I really enjoy it. So it's not by spiritual, religious devotion, no matter how sincere. And number two, it's not hard. Oh, nobody is going to end up perishing and say to God on that terrible day, it was just too hard or it was just too complicated. Oh, the Bible says, oh, it's so easy that God so loved the world that he didn't want anyone to perish or miss the way. So he makes it so super easy that it's almost mocking the idea that God would require us to do great things. No, he doesn't do that. He's done the great things and says, I just simply need you to trust that I'm going to rescue you. That's all I want out of you. So let's dive into this one. I really like it. So as I said, five through eight that you're looking at, you're going to compare two approaches to God. The, the, the self-pay, you know, however you're, you know, you're a good person, decent kind of person, and you've got your way. Right. And then his way. All right. A works based way or a faith based way. So take a look at these verses. <laughs> I really like them a lot. And so let's let, let's let see the contrast. So the first contrast, he says, the law, the, the person who's trusting in their own goodness. Verse five, Paul paraphrases there at verse five, if you're following me. Uh, from Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5. It's a paraphrase, verse 5, that you're looking at, right? So he's saying this is religion's way, man's way, okay? And what does man's way say? Well, what does the law say? Well, the Old Testament law says get right with God by perfect obedience and sinless perfection. In other words, the law itself says if you want to get right with God through me, you have to keep it all. 24-7 and never fail. So the law says of itself, the commandments say, the person who wants to please God this way, you better get busy. You better be perfect and you better work. And that's why Paul says in the New Testament, the law came primarily to show sinners their sin and to frustrate us and, and to show us we need a savior that we can't. The law is very helpful that way. It was never meant to keep, to save us. It was meant to lead us to Christ. And so he says there, that's, face, uh, that's the law's way. is Work, work, work. All right, so now we've got um, verses six and seven that I really enjoy. And six and seven are a loose quote from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14 that Paul is going to apply now to the gospel message, okay? So the original context for what Paul is saying in 6 and 7, as you look at 6 and 7, here's what Moses meant by it. He's telling the children of Israel, listen, loving God, finding God's will, doing God's will... It's it's not too difficult or out of reach for you. Don't be so discouraged. Quit acting like God is asking you to scale the highest mountain or dive the deepest depths of the seas. Because you know what? The Lord's yoke has always been easy. His burden has always been light. Loving God, responding to God, loving other people. That's not a burden. It's not a burden not to destroy yourself by sinning or killing somebody or stealing something. It's not a burden not to commit adultery with some other person's husband or wife. That's that's not a burden. God's commands are not burdensome. And so Moses is telling the, the chosen people of God there, he's saying, come on, you guys, it's not out of reach. It's not hard to do the will of God. Stop saying it's so hard. We can't do it. It's too high. It's too deep. It's too wide. He says, no, it's not. Now Paul's going to use Moses' words to apply it to the gospel. And so now he says, faith says there in verse 6, it's as if you're telling yourself it's not on you to ascend into heaven to make yourself worthy, Faith doesn't say, hey, you better get busy and get up to heaven and make your ladder, get up there, be worthy before the throne. Faith doesn't require you to get in God's face and convince him to get off his throne and come down and help you. Good luck trying to get up to heaven and drag Christ down. That's what he's saying. He's saying, when you trust in your own effort to please God, you're as ridiculous compared to what God did to save us. Your efforts... And putting it on you that you don't drink coffee? Or, or, or that you're really nice all the time? Or that you give a lot of money compared to what Christ has done? Come on. Faith says it's not your job to go up and muscle the Savior down to the earth. And by the way, when he descends, are you going to go down and raise him up from the dead? Faith says you don't have to do anything anything hard because he's done the heavy lifting that God made a way. God did the work. Oh, my word, people. It was God in love who sent his son who was crucified before the foundation of the world. It was Jesus who perfectly obeyed the law for you. It was him who willingly laid down his life on your behalf. He endured the cross with joy, thinking about you. He bore the wrath of God for you. He descended into the depths. He rose again by his own great power. In John chapter 10, he says, no one takes my life. Are you kidding me? I came, I lay it down freely. I'm going to lay down my life freely and I have the power to raise my life up again. Yes, it's traditionally said that God the Father raised him from the dead, but he's God the Son and he makes that clear he says, I can lay down my life, John chapter 10, and I can bring it up again because I've got the power. So while he's using his power to raise himself up from the dead, what are you going to contribute? That you're caffeineless, less <laughs> <Or, laughs> Oh wow! Well, that you keep a kosher table, or, or 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 what? You make pilgrimages, or you repeat prayers over and over and over and over again. How is this getting you any closer to God in light of what He's done to save us, to forgive us, and not only that? How did you even get saved? The Bible says, number one, His kindness led you to repentance. He made the Uh, initial move. He's the instigator. You would have gone straight off the cliff, including me. He came after us. He softened our heart. The Holy Spirit persuaded you. He convicted you of your sin and then he softened your heart and then he saved you. It's on him. And then he says, John chapter six, they're chasing him down for some more bread. And he goes, how sad. You should be thinking of more spiritual things. And they said, okay, what's the work we have to do that God requires? And Jesus said, here's the work. Listen for it. Wait for it. Trust the one he sent. That's your only work. That's all that God requires is a brokenness, a sinfulness qualifies you. I can't do anything. I can't save myself. I can't go up to heaven and pull you down. I can't raise anybody up from the dead. But you can, and I trust you. And then once he gets a hold of your heart and changes you, then there's goodness that flows because you've been freely given eternal life. Then you are good. Then it counts. But a goodness that doesn't come from being reconciled to God. It doesn't matter how good or virtuous it is, because it's not linked to God's way. And that's what he's saying. Here, he says, what does the word say? Verse eight, finishing up, what does it say? The message is near, close at hand, the message of salvation, life, the key to eternal life. Guess where it is? It's right there. You're thinking, oh, Mount Everest, or <laughs> sail the Pacific or swim the Pacific. And he's saying, the key to eternal life and there are people who have perished and they're gone and it's too late for them. But if, you, if they were to hear this, to know that it didn't require anything from you, behaviors irrelevant, nothing except acceptance of a good, merciful, perfect God who bled and died for you. And just required you to come to him to have life and trust him. That's what he says. Let's finish up here. He says, no, it's not hard. It's not hard. Of course it's not hard. But you've got you've got priests in the Philippines this weekend who are crucifying themselves this weekend to show their sincere devotion to Christ. And God's like... I, I had the idea first, and I did it for you so that you wouldn't have to do things like that. How about blowing, some, blowing yourself up? I mean, there's all kinds of people who can't understand. He made it very easy. Moving on, and he says, and that's the message. With this, we finish up. It's the very message, the gospel about simple trust that we preach. Here it is. And it's the first Christian creed, really. Well, somebody asked a Christian in the first century, what does it mean to be a Christian or going to heaven? They would say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then a little explanation for it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. The confirmation of true saving faith happens when uh, we go public, that we live our faith. Verse 11, as the scripture tells us, I love this close. Out of anything he could say, boy, if you you believe in God, guess what's going to happen? He says, you'll never be put to shame. I want to talk about that. So. What does God require? Number one, you can have a lot of things wrong and end up in heaven. You cannot have Jesus wrong. You have to have Jesus right. That's it. And that's one of the most offensive things about the gospel is that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me but by the, um, no one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. And that's offensive to people. I was in a coffee shop Told the story before. Uh, I don't know how it happened. Jesus came up in the conversation with somebody standing in line, and that gal said to me, okay, I probably started it, but and it was a t-shirt. A t-shirt started it all. And then um, so I said, uh, she said, you're talking like Jesus is God or something. <laughs> And I said, exactly, because that's who he claims to be. He said, if you're looking at me, you've seen God, John 14, 9, right? Just to quote one of them. And so, yeah, you're right. And she said, Jesus, your Jesus just needs to sit down in the circle of all the the Christ spirits, all the Christ emanations. He needs to take his place in the circle. And then I said... (laughs) I try, I try to be nice. <laughs> and I nicely said, "Ma'am, listen. Jesus invented the circle. <laughs> Jesus likes circles, like when he made the earth in the shape of a circle. But I'd be hard-pressed to find the courage to tell Jesus, who is Lord of all, now interestingly That is a bold statement. Jesus is God. That's what that means. Jesus is God. That word in the Greek for Lord is used 6,000 times for Yahweh the Father. And after all, Jesus said, and almost got him killed early, but he's in charge. In John chapter 10, he told the Jews, by the way, Yahweh and I, we're one. They picked up stones to execute him on the spot. And Jesus said, for which of my good works are you going to execute me? They said, we're not going to stone you for any of your good works. We're going to execute you for the crime of blasphemy. For you, a mere man, make yourself equal to God. You see, there it is again. They got it. Loud and clear. How could you not get it? Colossians 2.9 says that he's the fullness of God in a human body. That's pretty clear. And so he's not afraid to say these things, but that's what will save you. You cannot say that all paths lead. That's the hard part. Because God says, listen. And I always thought this. If God became one of us and bled and died as the only way to remove our sins, then it makes perfect sense that in love, he would tell you, oh, no, 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 don't try another way. That would be loving. That's not offensive to me. That's like, God, thank you. You know, you want the best. You you know where what roads lead, where they lead. The bridges are out. So it's a loving thing to tell somebody. It's not always well-received. And then, yeah, in this world, yeah, you laugh. (laughs) It's it's not always well-received, but it is, according to the Bible, true. And so that's a big claim. Listen, let me kind of wrap things up with these kinds of thoughts here. It's a big claim to be able to keep somebody from dying. But I don't know if you recall this or not, but Jesus said this at the Last Supper. Hey, don't believe me unless I can do what only God can do. But if I do what only God can do, then you better take me seriously. And so look what he did. He always never expected blind faith. He said to them, I'm the light of the world. If anybody looks to me, they'll never walk in darkness. And then in the same chapter, in the following chapter, he opens the eyes of a man born blind into light, right? So he makes the claim, then he does what God can do. He says to them in John chapter 6, I'm the bread of heaven. If you eat from this bread, you'll live forever. And then he multiplies a couple barley loaves and feeds 10,000 people because he's saying, see, any lunatic could say, I'm the bread of heaven. I've had lunatics talk to me before. I mean, I know I sound like a lunatic at times, but... I had somebody tell me I said oh man the guy introduced himself as the great I am and I said dude (laughs) that's like saying you're God and he goes how long have I been with you and still you don't know me I'm like whoa I'll step back from you And and Jesus big ticket item he said I am the resurrection and the life anybody who believes in me shall never die Same chapter show me a dead body he always made the claim and then he said let me show you that I can keep the promise and that the claim is good so that nobody had to say oh yeah yeah you can keep us from dying and he says show me where'd you put Lazarus so they said, hey, by this time, he said, listen, I told you I can do this. Roll the stone away. They rolled the stone away, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And it's a good thing he said, Lazarus only, because <laughs> we might have had a parade that day. <laughs> Everybody's down there, and they're, they're like, come, all of us? <laughs> Just Lazarus for now. But see, the claim and then the power. And the deed and this one is saying, listen, here's how you know you're saved. You believe in your heart. If you ask anybody at Cottingtown Mall today, do you believe in God, they'll say yes, nine times out of ten. What they mean by that is I believe there is a God somewhere, but that doesn't save anybody biblically speaking. To believe in God biblically is to trust experientially your life to him. And then when that happens, he comes in, you're new inside. You have a relationship with him. And as the Bible says, the confirmation that you're truly saved, you go public. So you know, most of you know, I was 19 years old running the streets there in the city. And I ended up in a bar one day, June 3rd, 1979. And I hear this voice in my head. Why will you go to hell when you don't opt to? And it's repeating over and over and over again. And I thought I was losing my mind, and I walked out of the bar, my brother was with me, and, and you know the story. My, I, I said, I think Jesus is talking to me. I, I think we gotta stop doing what we're doing. There's a heaven, there's a hell, and 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 I wanted my brother to calm me down and bring me back in the bar. And instead, my brother goes, I think Jesus is alive too. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. <laughs> I really thought, oh, no, there goes my whole life. And it was. We never walked back in. But the first thing I did, first thing, I felt this like, whoa, what's happening to me? And I got in the car with my brother, and we go down to Santa Cruz to see my, the only Christian we knew was my dad. Busted through the door. Like, dad, he heard a voice. And, We're Christians. And then we start confessing things to him. About, dad, we used to steal your money. You know. <laughs> I'm like, what is coming out of my mouth? Do you see what he's saying? Is that when the heart gets touched, the spirit comes in and does some transformative work, out will come. Jesus is Lord, Dad. God is talking to me. And that is genuine faith. That's what's going on there. It's not like a magic formula. Make sure you say, Jesus is Lord, I'm not believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead. All that means is that you believe Jesus is alive and he's God. That's what you need and you trust him and you're not gonna make your own way, his way. Let me close on that last 11 because it gets me every time. It's like, he's gonna say in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We get that. It's like, yeah, that's the big ticket item. We want to be saved. Why does he kind of entice you to trust in the Lord for this reward? Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Well, I started thinking about that. God knows that our, one of our greatest fears is to be exposed and humiliated for the sinners and the, the hypocrites that we truly are. Oh, my word, if, if, if one writer said, <laughs> if the contents of my heart were publicly revealed, I would rather have a concrete slab around my neck and thrown into a swamp than for people to know what goes through my mind and my heart. So God says, hey, come to me, and there'll never be a day when you're outed and people are looking at you, you'll be covered. Now, this reminds me of a story, and I'm closing. This is like my second close. (laughs) I've got only a couple more that I could possibly use, but no. Okay, so I'm in the city. I'm in the Tenderloin. I'm with a buddy. We're passing out Bibles and tracts. And I'm on a street corner in the Tenderloin. It's dark. There's a woman standing there. I thought she was waiting for the light to turn, you know, and she's standing there. And I'm like, hey, and I realize I'm going to hand her a track. But of course, there's a hole in my pocket. And they've slipped through. And they're coming through my pant leg, right? <laughs> so she's watching me. And I'm like, I got something for you. Wait a second. Here. I've got to pull it out of my pant leg. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound anything like me. But I pulled it out. And what I said in the moment I regret as very cringy. I said, these things are so hot, they burned a hole in my pocket. You better take one. I know, I told you, I warned you. Uh, she thought it was slightly amusing and she held it, but you could tell she was a little hostile. So I'm trying to work up a conversation with her. A friend is standing there. And I said, So, so you know, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing tonight? And she goes, I'm working. And I said, I said, Oh, really? What do you do? Just like that, just right over my head. And she goes like this, I'm working. And I'm like, oh, Mary Magdalene kind of working. I said, well, listen, I, God wants you to know he loves you the way you are. You don't have to be doing that. Oh, he's got a better plan for you. And she had just had nothing to say. And so I said, listen, I want to pray for you because I want to tell you that anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. She kind of perked up about that. And so I said, what's your name? I want to pray for you. And she wouldn't answer me. I said, come on, just give me a name. Give me a name. Give me a name. Still, nothing. And then I said, just say something. And she goes, something. (laughs) Something. And the Holy Spirit, I take no credit for this. There was a song back in those days. And I said to her, oh, that's so funny. We sing about you every Sunday at church. There's a song about you. And she she rolled her eyes and I said, here it goes. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. And that, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. So I thought about that as we were, as I was studying this this week, and I started thinking, wow, because of what Christ has done, she can, in a heartbeat become a new person like Mary Magdalene who had seven demons on top of her immorality and she goes from shame to fame as what? Number one witness, the first witness of the Lord's resurrection doesn't go to Peter, James, and John and no man, but to a former prostitute, and demon-possessed woman, she goes from shame to above Peter, James, and John, and she is chosen by God. You, Mary, will be the first witness of the resurrection. I want you to go tell the boys <laughs> who are hiding under the bed, <laughs> yeah. crying like a button. Okay, I didn't get the point. I want you and she's just thinking, like, "Who am I? I'm that shameful woman. Or I'm the homewrecker. I'm the..." And he says, "No, you're not. Because of what I did and the way I made, and you simply trusted. And now you're not that person, because you've got a new life. And how did you get it? By climbing the mountain or diving into? No, I did it for you, and you simply received it by faith as a gift. Let's pray together." Father God, we just thank you for this gospel, this good news. It sets our hearts free, God. It makes us very happy. We want to respond to you by obeying your commands and doing what's right and good because that's important. But what's most important is that you're our righteousness. You're our way. You're our goodness. We depend on you. Thanks for taking that off of our shoulders, God. Letting us breathe and enjoy life in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.